We'll be in Revelation uh, chapter 8 this morning. Revelation chapter 8. So if you haven't been with us for a while, uh, we are uh, coming to the end of a series we called 2020. And we started it over two years ago where we started uh, in Genesis. And we are just looking, been looking for the gospel from uh, one cover of the word of God to the next. Um, and so we are nearing the, the end of the series as we kind of make our way slowly through this uh, last book of Revelation. So the section that we're in this morning uh, started in chapter 6, if you recall, where seven seals of judgment began to be opened by the only one in all of heaven who could open them, and that is the Lamb, Jesus Christ. Uh, now the first seal was the introduction of the Antichrist. He will come offering peace, but we soon see it is false peace. And he only uses that empty promise to enslave and conquer. We will see more about that in the chapters ahead. Uh, the second seal is war or conflict on the earth. The uh, false promise of peace by the Antichrist led to peace actually being taken out of the world. The third seal is scarcity on the earth. Uh, the conditions left by war will break the supply chain, and now whoever is left on earth is struggling to survive. And the fourth seal is just widespread death. We saw the fifth seal was a cry from the martyred saints in heaven uh, for God to avenge them. And the sixth seal was a cry from those still on earth for God to hide them from his wrath because there is no one left on earth that could stand it. Uh, well, almost no one. Uh, the last verse in chapter 6, verse 17 says, The great day of God's wrath has come, and who is able to stand? And so that almost desperate and hopeless question is answered in chapter 7. Now remember, chapter 7 describes a pause, a parenthesis before the seventh seal is open. And it's, it's here that we see two great multitudes of people, the sealed of Israel and the saved Gentiles. Uh, this is where we were last week. And, uh, you know, as, as a pastor, I, I, in my studies, I, I spend a lot of time just uh, scouring the books and the vast reaches of learning to uh, dive deep into knowledge and to bring you any, any quotes that might speak to my heart and uh, hopefully will speak to yours as well. And so I, I have another one here today, um, and it is actually um, myself. Regarding chapter 7, so are, are you ready? I think it should be on the screen. Um, it is simply, I don't know. Okay, so um, when it comes to chapter 7 and everything that uh, chapter 7 means, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it means. It seems like Revelation is going in cycles. Uh, we know that John uh, liked to write like that in his other letters. And so if that is the case, uh, some of the same judgments from, uh, from different vantage points is, is what we are seeing here again. Uh, and so when we get to the end of the book, we will have the entire picture. Um, there are several valid explanations to who these two groups in chapter 7 represent. Uh, the seal of Israel could be the literal 144,000 Jews saved during the Great Tribulation through the evangelism of the two witnesses that we'll see in chapter 11 in the, in the coming weeks. Uh, they could represent all the Jewish race that has come to know Jesus throughout the ages. Uh, the same with the saved group of Gentiles. It could literally be um, a, a group of saved Gentiles. It could also be figurative. Uh, some say they both represent the same people. 
So I don't know, uh, but here's what I do know regarding Revelation chapter 7. No matter when this takes place, and no matter who these groups represent, Almighty God is saving through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, His Son. And so in the midst of all this judgment and wrath, we still see the grace of God. We still see mercy. Uh, This appears to be God's last opportunity for people to accept Jesus as their Savior. 2 Peter 3, 8, 9 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise to return and and judge the earth, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, throughout the Word of God, we see God described as patient long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in love. And church, I am really thankful that that is true. But here in the middle of Revelation, God says, enough is enough. And the door of His grace uh, through Jesus will be shut for all eternity. And what we see in the pages to come are a result of that door closing. So chapter 8 closes the parentheses of chapter 7, and it opens the last of the seven seals. Uh, Verses 1 through 6, prepare all of heaven for this seventh seal opening. And so that is number one on your outline. It is preparation. So if you are able, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we read these first six verses here in chapter 8. God's word says this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden incense, a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Verse 4, the smoke of that incense, of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So we see this seventh seal. It brings another earthquake and it opens seven more judgments. And this preparation for this seventh seal is at least twofold. And you can write these down on your outline. The first is silence. Notice that verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now remember, uh, this is the last seal on this scroll from chapter 4 and 5. Uh, it's been called the title deed to the universe. And so we can speculate now that this scroll is open. And so I, I picture this silence partly as just a, a collective gasp in all of heaven. Uh, kind of like when, uh, when you see an accident happen, a, a car accident, you... You just kind of gasp, and you, you, you don't know, there's, there's nothing you can say, but you, you're just kind of in shock. Or when you see your, your kid or grandkid getting ready to fall, you, you kind of you 
gasp because of what, what's about, you know what's about to happen. And so uh, here, all of heaven gasps at the sight of the judgment that's about to take place on earth. Now, while there would be pain in this collective gasp, there's no mention of it here. Because everyone standing around God's throne knows what is about to take place is completely and absolutely righteous. So, partly a collective gasp and partly, I think, just standing in awe of God's plan. You ever seen anything that just left you speechless? I I, I think back to our trip to the Grand Canyon last summer. Man, just standing there, you, you stand in awe of what God has done. And there's nothing that you can say. And, and so this is kind of what's going on here in heaven uh, on a much grander scale than the Grand Canyon. Um, so this silence is the calm before the storm. Notice what uh, the prophets wrote, Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand, for the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and has invited his guest. Habakkuk 2.20, the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. All of heaven will be able to hear a pin drop for the next 30 minutes. And so silence is part of the preparation. Uh, the second part is prayers, our prayers. Number The next blank there on your outline. Verse 2 says, I saw the seven angels who, stood, who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. We'll, be, we'll talk about the trumpets here in a little bit. Uh, then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Now, note there are some parallels at what is going on here in heaven and, and what went on in the temple in, in both the Old and New Testaments, at least twice daily, uh, just twice daily. Uh, during the morning and evening sacrifice, the high priest would transfer coals from the brazen altar to the altar of incense. And this, this altar was to, to burn, this incense was to burn 24-7, and the smoke ascending from the incense symbolized the prayers of the saints. It's a cool picture that the prayers of God's people somehow make heaven smell good. Think of that thought. The prayers of God's people somehow make heaven smell good. And it's not that heaven needs anything, but by God's design, he uses the prayers of the saints. Now, we have already heard and seen some of these prayers from God's martyred in chapter 6. Avenge us. And before he said to wait, but now it's finally God's timing. Ever since Jesus instructed us to pray, thy kingdom come, countless believers have. And now it's finally God's timing to answer that completely. Verse 5, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So not only do these prayers of the saints make heaven somehow smell good they're also somehow involved in God's judgment upon the earth you can write those down the prayers they make somehow make heaven smell good and they're involved in God's judgment upon the earth now let's just let's just pause here church uh, because you know we know that this is telling of a, a time to come but 
But doesn't it apply to our lives right now? Silence and prayer, they're both part of the spiritual preparation in heaven. Shouldn't they be a part of our spiritual preparation now? When was the last time you were silent before God? Silence is is awkward. Just, that's just 10 seconds. It gets awkward at about three. Silence is, is awkward. But there is a reason that God's word says, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10. I, I think we could say there is a part of God that we can't fully know until we're silent. They're still. See, with all the stuff coming at us at any given moment, we can easily get distracted. And when when we become distracted, then we don't have to listen to the voice of God. And if we don't listen for it, then we can't hear it. And if we can't hear it, then we don't have to do what it says. And so then we can just live nice and comfortably how we want to without any imposition from God. And church, while, while that definitely describes people outside of the church, it should never describe those of us within the church. Not listening to the voice of God, not being imposed upon by the voice of God. Church, that should not describe a pastor, that should not describe a church member. But don't we know that we are all capable of just tuning out the voice of God so that we can do whatever we want. How often do we pray, but then we're not silent enough to hear God's answer and hear what God is telling us? So, so let's just answer a couple of questions. These are, these are questions that I've been asking myself all week. Uh, the, the first one, when was the last time you took some time just to be still, to be silent before God, to know that He is God, and to just listen to what he's trying to tell you. And secondly, how's your prayer life? Silence and prayers, right there in, in, in the halls of heaven, we know they're important. And, and we know uh, that prayer is important. Throughout the Word of God, it's important. Here we see that they somehow make heaven smell good, and God's using the prayers of his saints in his final plan. And so maybe prayer is even more important than we thought. What's God speaking to your heart today? What do, you, what do you need to do to prepare your heart to be in line for His plan? Maybe we need to schedule, we need to plan some time just to be silent and just to listen. Silence and prayer, they're both a part of the preparation of heaven. And I submit to you today that they should be part of our spiritual preparation here as well. So we, we noted uh, seven, the trumpets in, in verse 2. And so uh, let me just read it for you. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
Now in, uh, in Numbers 10, 1 through 10, trumpets are used for three different things. Uh, they call the people together, they announce war, and they announce a special time. And so that's exactly what they're doing here. Uh, calling God's people together, announcing the biggest war this world has ever seen, and announcing the fulfillment of God's divine plan. And so the next blank on your outline, the seventh seal of the scroll opens seven trumpets of divine judgment. As we see this picture of the end opening wider and wider. Verse 6, and so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So we can describe all of these seven trumpets with one word. Uh, So we've gone from preparation, number one on your outline, preparation to, number two, desolation. Desolation. That, That word describes all of these trumpets. It's a word that means barren, deprived, laid waste, abandoned, and destitute. So this desolation is again targeted at the earth. And notice what all it encompasses. I'll give you some possibilities of what might happen, um, but acknowledging that God is not limited to what we can understand and what might happen. Uh, His plan will unfold no matter how he wants. It it, it will happen because he's God. Uh, Now there are some similarities with with the ten plagues in Egypt and Exodus. Uh, But this will be on a worldwide scale. And so the first, first trumpet... Vegetation is struck. Vegetation is struck. Uh, Verse 7 says, uh, The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Most of us uh, have probably been through a hailstorm. And that is an, an uneasy feeling when you hear that stuff pounding on your roof. And if you have enough warning, you may go, in, go out and, and bring your tender plants into shelter, but there will, there will be no bringing anything in for this cosmic hailstorm. Similarly, we have seen uh, devastation of what forest fires and volcanic eruptions bring. And we know part of that devastation is the toxic gases that come. And so this is on a such grander scale than ever before. I mean, imagine the far-reaching effects. If a third of all the trees and all the green grass is burned up, it's going, it's going to affect the balance of nature, uh, the meat industry, the milk industry. It would, it would plummet. And, and I kind of find it interesting that the first trumpet is against the very thing that produced the fruit that tempted Adam and Eve. And the chaos has only begun. The second trumpet, the seas struck the seas struck Uh, verse 8 in the second trumpet sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed so perhaps an asteroid will enter earth's atmosphere and ignite and fall into the sea Uh, the tidal wave from that could uh, could sink a third of the ships The word used here uh, sometimes specifically refers to the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. And so it probably refers to salt water. And so you can write that down. It probably refers to salt water. So now, not only the meat and milk industry are devastated, now the fishing industry will be as well. 
Oceans cover more than 70% of the earth's surface. And so imagine the stench of dead fish and dead sea creatures. Judgment will bring an awful stench of death. And so we can imagine how far-reaching this second trumpet will be. The third trumpet, waters are struck. Uh, Verse 10, then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So if seas in verse 8 and 9 are salt water, then this is probably fresh water. Um, It seems to describe a comet falling from the sky, um, breaking up when it hits Earth's atmosphere and falling into these rivers and springs. Uh, The National Geographic Society lists about 100 principal rivers in the world. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, Survey, there are 30 large rivers in the United States. And so here, a third becomes so bitterly polluted that drinking them could cause death. Uh, Wormwood. It is one of the most bitter herbs in the world, and it has just come to be known uh, to mean bitterness. Uh, in the Old Testament, it was synonymous with sorrow. And so if those who drink it could die from it, we can imagine what happens to the, the creatures living in it. And so adding to the stench of burning and death, we now add more dead aquatic life. But isn't this a picture of the stench of sin to God, the stench of my sin to God, the stench of the sin that Jesus took upon himself. Isn't this a picture of it? So far the earth has been struck. Now we see the heavens. That's the fourth trumpet. The heavens struck. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And so not just a third of the world is, is, is uh, affected here. The entire world will be affected by the fourth trumpet. The very source of life and energy will be destroyed by this trumpet, giving the already damaged earth a third less energy to work with. Temperatures will change. Moods will be affected. I mean, we know what it's like to fluctuate daylight uh, an hour one way or the other. I mean, really a, a couple hours. Uh, when we set the clocks back, we understand that. But this is going to be on such a a bigger scale, a third of the day, a third of the night, just complete darkness. John 3.20, Jesus said, Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And certainly that will come into play in these dark days. Many crimes take place in the cover of darkness, and this darkness will only encourage carnality. Verse 13, Revelation. I looked. And I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of earth, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet and of the the three angels who are about to sound. So basically he's saying, uh, you think this is bad? The worst is yet to come. See, we are only four trumpets in. There are still three more indicated by the three woes there in verse 13. Church, I want to encourage you to read chapter 9 this week because it tells of two more trumpets releasing two armies upon the earth. Um, And these armies have been called the second most difficult problem to figure out in all of Revelation, but we're going to attempt to look at those next week if the Lord wills. 
Uh, church, you know, when, when we first started Revelation, one of the adjectives used, uh, that I used to describe it, is, was, terrifying. Revelation can be terrifying. I can remember as a kid, I didn't want to hear any of this stuff because it was, it just scared me so much. But, just like we saw last week, and just like we have seen throughout this study, the one scarlet thread of the gospel remains true. And at this point today, right now, if you still have breath in your lungs and a beat in your heart, the good news of God, the good news of Jesus is offered to you. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See church, we can know. We, We don't have to be terrified by revelation. We can find peace in the midst of the chaos. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Would you just uh, bow your heads and close your eyes as we uh, go into a time of of invitation? Where do you stand spiritually today? Because all of humanity is sinful. Sin is when we don't do what we should do or we do what we shouldn't do. And as we've heard before, sin always leads to brokenness. And we all understand what brokenness is. Church, a lot of people think that uh, we, can, we can make up for our, our, our sin by just being good. If our, if our good outweighs our bad, then God has to let us in. But when we look at our own lives, if we look very closely, um, we will see that we really aren't that good. If we've ever taken anything that didn't belong to us, no matter what the value. If we've ever used God's name in vain as a, as a curse word if we've ever not honored our our parents, then we are guilty, and this is just three of the Ten Commandments. If we go through the rest, we'd be guilty of them all as well. And so if God judges us by His top ten list, we are all guilty before Him, and so that doesn't look very good. My life does not look very good when compared to God's standards. And if that's the end of the story, church, we we would walk out of here more hopeless than when we walked in. But that's where the good news of of the gospel comes in. That God did for us what we could not do for ourselves by sending Jesus to pay the price for all of these sins. These sins that smell uh, so putrid, so awful to God. Jesus took upon himself. And he offers the free gift of life for any who would admit their, their sinfulness. Believe that Jesus is the perfect Son of God and confess Him as Lord of of their lives. And if you've never made a profession of faith, God's grace is open to you today. The grace that we sang about this morning. And we never know if today will be the last opportunity that you have. For those of us who already know Jesus, are we living like it? When was the last time you were silent before God just to listen to whatever He has to say to you? How's your prayer life? What has God said to you this morning through His Word? What are you going to do about it?
Lord, we do invite you to come. Thankful that you are listening to each and every prayer that's being lifted up here today. Lord, even if it's distracted by something else that's going on, Lord, you meet us where we are. And Lord, for that we are grateful. Lord, if there are any among us who have never made that profession of faith, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, if there's any among us who just aren't living like we know you, may today be the day we turn back to you. And Lord, help us to remember and live by the importance of just being still, knowing you are God. When we pray, we, we listen for your response. Because Lord, we know that you speak to us. Pray for each and every one of us here this morning. Lord, help us to live for you as we leave this place. It's in the awesome name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.